What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another brand new edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. It is now September. In my countdown app on my phone, September 1st is one of the dates that I count down to because I hate June, July, and August. And September means it's the August is the last month without hockey, unless we have a World Cup of Hockey in 2024, like Bill Daly talked about uh, with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Marrick on 32 Thoughts this past week. But uh, let's we're going to get into it in just a minute with uh, Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period and the fourth period.com. And let me tell you about Bet Parks, because one of the things we're going to do in this episode, actually, is we're going to look at the point totals. The point totals are out for the 22-23 season, the over-under. We'll give you the point total number for this season, the over-under, what they did last season, and then we'll make a selection for some futures plays on the Bet Parks app to go over or under based on what the new total is. And uh, we'll do that for the division day, the Metropolitan Division. We may point out a couple others as well. Uh, so get the Bet Parks app. It's faster to win than ever before, easy to navigate, easy to deposit, easy payouts, you name it. It's simple to use. You've got football here, college football, full slate this weekend. You've also got, obviously, uh, the pro game going to start the week after. You've got Major League Baseball, the remainder of the season, the pennant races, and then obviously the playoffs coming. Uh, you've got hockey around the corner. Hoops is not that far away. You can be betting Serena. You can bet some tennis or F1 or golf. You name it. It's all there on the Bet Parks app. So grab it today. And for new and existing users, you can use the promo code Jason750, J A S O N 750. That'll get you a risk free bet up to $750. And uh, terms and conditions do apply. So grab the Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Let's go north of the border. See what the weather is doing up there. It's a lot cooler down here. We bring him in now from the fourth period, the fourth period.com and the brotherly pod as well. It is Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? What's going on, my man? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it was raining the last few days, kind of fresh today, but uh, you know, you wear the same. We like our fall weather, so I'm okay with that. I am not about that. Uh, the pool south of the border when it gets uh, very, very hot, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, it's uh. <laughs> You know, September is that time when all the players are starting to trickle into town and get those captain skates going. Flyers don't have a captain, but a lot of players in town saw Cam Atkinson's in. How about Joel Farabee being on the ice with the boys already coming off that neck surgery? Hey, th that's what you like to see, right? And Farabee's one of those guys that, like, is still, I think, considered young, but also, like, a veteran on this team. Like, he's going into, what, his fourth full season because the or third full third season full, yeah because 1920 he was up he was down he was this he was that and like he was a he's a guy that you know like i don't expect him to be a captain but like i expect him to probably wear a letter and if you're looking outside of guys like assuming you're going to name a captain hypothetically because i suppose there's the outside chance that you could go with three letters or whatever three uh, a's rather but aside from hayes and katoria who are obviously the two front runners if you decide to go in like a younger direction, which I'm not sure would be the best option, would it not be Farabee? It could be Farabee. I don't know if I would go there just yet with him. Same. He's only 22. To me, that's a little green for him. I want him to just concentrate on getting through a season yeah. and not burden him with the responsibility of a letter. Not that it's a huge burden. Like I think that the letter in hockey is a bit overblown. At this a point, touch, yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's what it once was, but I mean, he's played he's never played in a full season, like played the full 82 or even close. I mean, his first year was the 1920 season yeah. 
He played 52 games that year. Of course, they only played, what, 69? But he didn't even make the team out of camp. Remember, they were over in the yeah. Czech Republic, and he found out over there. Then he went down and forced his way back up by playing well and handling it the right way. And, and then they set team- him down when yeah. they acquired Granton Thompson. Yep. And then uh, in the 2021 season, it was only a 56-game season, but he played 55. Yeah. And he had 20 goals and, and 18 assists that year. And then last year, he played in 63. Maybe he could have come back earlier at points with the shoulder. And I think he had a bit of hard luck last year. But uh, I think I just wanted to see him get out there and just worry about playing hockey. Don't put anything extra on him. I mean, if a young guy were to get a letter, here's a guy that has been a captain at every level prior to the NHL. And that is Travis Konechny. He's a guy that I thought that last year when Giroux got traded, started to fill some of that vacuum both on and off the ice. From what I understand, talking to guys too, stepped up his you know, vocal – look, he always talks – but his vocal presence as a leader and those kind of things. And if that's a player that's doing the right things early and torts, he's bought into torts, I could see him getting a letter. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you want to see some of these young guys get these letters eventually and connect me like, my God, this is what, year six for him, year five? So he would be a candidate to get that. Like, look, you're around the team in more of an intimate way, much more than I am. So you could speak to that better than me. I think with Konechny, it's more about kind of like getting his game right first and foremost. And I mean, if that extra leadership part could come eventually, then that's even better. It's just like I'm him coming into year seven. Yeah, because his first year was 16, 17. It's true with Provorov. So and this is year three of his contract the six-year extension he signed in 2019 yep. so yeah like he's a guy that like and you know we were talking about like how Konechny's one of those guys who it's shit or get off the pot time more yeah. so because if he's going to be a long-term fixture on this team he kind of falls in that grouping with an Ivan Provorov and look Provorov has had a letter since I think it was the 2021 shortened season mm-hmm. or maybe even before that so I mean, yeah, he's a guy that you would like to see. Like, I'm sure that now there's a lot more, I guess, room to, to kind of step into that leadership role. Huge with boy, guy, yeah. With like Giroux and Voracek gone, who were like the elder statesmen of this team for a long, long time. And you would assume that it's going to be, you know, Hayes, Katori, Lott, and like those are kind of like the three leaders that I think everyone could objectively agree on. But Atkinson then you look to some extent. Atkinson to some extent for sure. I think Provorov just kind of like he's worn a letter, but is that just more because he's been the top defenseman for, you know, X amount of years? Is that more of just like kind of like a courtesy letter? Who knows? Obviously, we've heard rumblings about how he is sometimes behind closed doors. But yeah, Konechny is a guy you'd like to see step into that role. I mean, he's way he's very young at this point, but I think that eventually down the road, like Cam York kind of strikes me as that guy Mm -hmm. as well. But I think USA when they won the world juniors. Captain, exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of young guys, which is kind of like where I wanted to go with it to start is that like specifically in the bottom six that you're going to be looking for to really take the next step in not just on the ice, but even leadership roles, because a lot of these young guys are going to have chances to play significant minutes here. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. That's the thing that's in front of them. The most is opportunity, like for guys like Morgan Frost and Owen Tippett, who kind of have been back and forth and yo-yo between the AHL and the NHL, this is that situation now where you have the opportunity, you're not going to get yo-yoed, and it's an opportunity to show what you got. Yep. It's going to be, you know, that they get to the NHL, 
You're going to be here. Have that mentality. Don't worry about going back and forth. Go out and play and show what you are as NHL players. And I think they're going to play together to boot. <laughs> yeah. And, and like you look at this bottom six here and that entire third line, I think we're all assuming that it's going to be Kate's Frost and Tippett. Like we just spoke a bit off air. I spoke about it yesterday with on Brotherly Pod that like Kate strikes me as a guy that like I wouldn't be surprised if they put him beside like Katori and Konechny to start the year because he just like reeks of someone that Tortorella is going to love. But you're going to have guys like Cates and Frost and Tippett playing prominent roles in the top nine. And it's not like a typical forward group where you have like this ultra strong top six, like say in Toronto, and then a bottom six that's extremely weak. Like you have a chance here for that bottom six, let's say, or that third line more specifically with guys like Frost and Tippett to really have prominent offensive roles on this team. And I don't think we've seen that in a lot of years here, like younger guys that, you know, a year ago were like fringe NHLers now are penciled in as bona fide top nine guys. And like for, like you said, now that you're not looking over your shoulder, you're not going to be sent down to the minors. Like, I mean, maybe that could be true for, let's say a Tanner Lazinski or a Wade Allison who are coming back from injury, but you know, Kate's Frost and Tippett, do you see a way that these guys don't start the year in the NHL? I don't see how you can like some will go, well, Cates maybe is a guy that doesn't, but he played so well and you could see that his game was so NHL ready, Yeah, you know, with the details and the responsibility that he plays with. Now you couple that ant with the coach that they have and what does he preach? Exactly what Noah Cates is good at is the details and, you know, doing the right things with the puck and without the puck. He was so good. Like watching Noah Cates, he was so good in the neutral zone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like forcing plays into pressure, forcing plays into turnovers and going the other way. You know, neutral zone is not a glory zone at all. No. It's not. It's That's an unselfish player. And he was, I thought he was excellent in his anticipation in the neutral zone. And let's, let's call it spade a spade. The way he played was, I think, the driving reason as to why they figured that they were able to buy out Oscar Lindblom. I totally agree. Because he came in and he, uh, and this is no slight at Oscar, but I think he came in and he provided the type of, you know, role that they wanted Oscar to play. Mm -hmm. And I think Oscar's, you know, an NHL player every day of the week and all that, but they needed kind of like a guy to really push the play, the pace and be a mucker and grinder on a line with Frost and Tippett so they could do more of the offensive stuff. And I think that Kate's really kind of checked that box. And I mean, I think you have other guys who could play that role. Like, obviously, he's a right wing, but maybe Wade Allison could check that box. I've seen, I could see Scott Lawton playing that role. But like, Noah Kate's basically allows you to use Scott Lawton in other ways. Like, if you want him to play center, you would assume that he's going to start the year in the top six. He's obviously had historic success with a guy like Kevin Hayes and even Travis Konechny going back to 1920. So maybe they revisit that line. And I find that Noah Cates has given them a lot of options on that left wing. And, you know, at left wing, that's arguably their weakest forward position, which is saying something because they historically in the last few years have not been that great at center. But I think that what Cates did gave them a lot of flexibility in the offseason and be like, okay, we can move on from a guy like Oscar Lindblom, and they used his cap space to address the depth of defense, add a guy like Nick Deloria, which obviously is a very polarizing move to say the least. But I mean, I think Noah Cates as an in-house replacement for Oscar Lindblom and arguably already a more effective player than Oscar Lindblom really helped them make some decisions in the offseason. 
And the money, obviously, he's making far yeah. less money than Oscar was making. And, you know, you, and Oscar was kind of upside down on his contract where if you, you bought him out like they did, you actually got more relief than you were paying him, which yeah. is an odd scenario um, for the team to be able to do that. And I'm sure that was part of the equation. Not to mention, you know, Oscar killed penalties. And Noah Gates, to me, it looks like a dead set penalty killer. Delaria yeah. is actually a, a pretty good penalty killer. You know, yeah. when you look at the PK guys on this team, Atkinson's a PK guy, but they might want Atkinson to kill less penalties, kind of like Giroux a couple years ago. Yeah. Like kind of relieve that duty from him because those are hard minutes killing penalties. You know, you, you don't possess the puck. You're more chasing the play and, and remaining in structure. So, um, you know, maybe that's a situation where you can relieve Atkinson of some of those harder minutes and let him be more effective. I mean, the guy is not young and let him get up, you know, and concentrate more on being an offensive player when he's on the ice and not those hard minutes and eating them up. Um, the bottom six, though, Amp, how do you see a play? So say Lawton is a top six winger. And yeah. He plays with Hayes and and whoever. Um, yeah. So your top six, I mean, you're probably looking at, I'd like to see Konechny with Couturier. Yeah. So I would like to see, you know, Konechny, Couturier, and then I got to figure out who I'm putting on that other wing there. Yeah. Um, and then I got to see, you know, Kevin Hayes, Scott Lawton, and who's on that other wing. So who are those wingers, you know, on the other side there to, to round out those lines for you? Because then we can now look at the bottom six based on that. So, look, the, the second line for me is probably going to be Lawton, Hayes, and Atkinson. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Atkinson and Konechny are relatively in- interchangeable. I think that obviously Hayes has a, a friendship and a long-standing relationship with Cam Atkinson, but he's also had success with Travis Konechny there, specifically 2019-20. But I do agree. I would like to see Konechny with Couturier. I think that they have more chemistry to build off of. They played a lot together since 2019, those years. And then I guess the easy thing to say is you put JVR with Katori and Konechny and mm-hmm. just see what happens. But like I said, like I would not be surprised if it's Noah Cates just to give a different look and you slide JVR down to the third line. But I guess just for the sake of argument, I would say you at least start the year with JVR there just because of the offensive upside. He's a veteran. He has played that role before. A few years ago, he did have a very good stretch with Couturier on the top line when I believe Farabee was playing the right wing. So yeah, he for the started sake, off the year like with his hair on fire. Yeah, so I would say for the sake of argument and for this exercise, we could say it's JVR, Couturier, Konechny, Lawton, Hayes, and Atkinson. Yeah, see, I, I don't like JVR on that third line with Frost and Tippett because he's not a detail player, you know, no. and I think that the defensive responsibility and the neutral zone responsibility that you can get from Cates outweighs JVR because I do got to ma- I got to make sure that that third line with Frost and Tippett is put in a productive position because you know for the most part they're going to get matchups they should be able to exploit yep. if they have taken a step only <laughs> if they've taken a big step and I think that if it's not Cates you can make the case that Lawton should be that guy because Lawton's kind of like I don't mind that either. Player. Yeah. So, so like maybe if you because I think those left wings like Lawton, JVR, Cates, they're all relatively interchangeable. Like maybe you put JVR down on the on the second line with Hayes and Atkinson. Cates plays that top line role with Katori and Konechny, and then Lawton is kind of like that veteran guy who could help Frost out defensively. Obviously, Lawton is a natural center and all that, and he could play with Tippett. Because the other thing about this is is that. You also want to minimize 
the the line juggling for when Joel Farabee comes back. Yep, that's exactly where I was going next. Because when he comes back, then you got to figure him in, and I would slam dunk he's probably going to be a top six winger, mm-hmm. and which would theoretically push JVR out of that role. But it also begs the question, like, what do you do with Noah Cates? Like, Noah Cates, to me, like, obviously, we're basing it on a relatively small sample size. But I guess to start the year, uh, we would just assume, I guess, that Cates is that third line winger. And as Bill Meltzer has pointed out a lot, like, they were a legitimately good line when it was Cates, Frost, and Tippett. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, when Farabee comes back, maybe he starts, you know, coming off the injury. Although he's already on the ice. Like, I know the timetable initially was, what, November something? Mid-November, Even December, right? I heard. I yeah, heard I mean, is he way ahead of the schedule, the fact that he's on the ice right now? I would assume so, right? Like, that's a pretty significant surgery that he had. Like, obviously, getting back to contact and all that will be a, a whole different other step. But, like, yeah. I don't know if it's going to be December. Like, I had heard that from when the people with the, within the Flyers had told me that uh, back in, I believe, the end of June or when soon after he was injured. Yeah, it was right and I was time they found out week before. Yeah, so, like, I think that it's always kind of been, like, an American Thanksgiving type of ballpark. Um, But now, like, who knows, man? Like, if he's already skating, like, if he could he start trying to take contact with a month, month or two, like, maybe by early November he's back. And if that happens, all of a sudden, like, not to say that your top six looks, like, extremely better and one of the best in the NHL, not by any stretch, but... Having Joel Farabee there certainly makes a big difference when he could arguably be your most impactful winger at all ends of the ice. Yeah, and he's a guy that kills penalties too, but we'll see when he comes back initially. I imagine he won't be doing that. But, you know, I know he's been on the ice for a couple of weeks. I saw a picture two weeks ago from uh, a guy that I'm buddies with on Twitter that was had, was out there with a skate with a bunch of the guys. There were guys, uh, I think Matias Samuelson was there and some guys from other teams. And he's been on the ice, you know, working pretty hard. So um, maybe he's way ahead of schedule. So we'll see what that how that plays out. But, I, you know, whether you call it the first line, second line, third line, doesn't matter. It's all based on usage anyway. Yeah. If you, if you could see, you know, Cates, Tippett, and Frost getting off to a good start and then Farabee comes back, um, you know, maybe you don't break that up and it actually becomes your pseudo second line and Hayes, Lawton, and Atkinson becomes a third line with a couple of penalty killers and power play players. I could see that too. Well, it's because you got to look at this team and say, like, are there really like a first and a second line? It's kind of like you have two tiers. Like you have the one tier, which is like your top six guys. And then your second tier, which is all the bottom six guys. And then I would say maybe Lawton's the one tweener in between there. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, I think they have more like two and a half second lines a third line and a fourth line. Pretty much. Pretty they much. They don't have that bonafide top line to me. Right exactly. Like, I, I, I like their second line. Like, I think Hayes, Atkinson, and Lawton is a fine second line. I think the third line has a lot of potential. Obviously, potential is a buzzword that can either can go either way, as we know. But, I mean, I also like that fourth line. You know, like, that theoretical fourth line. Like, I asked someone today with the Flyers, as to whether or not Lazinski and Allison are, you know, realistic options, even for the fourth line. And he said to me that, um, you know, they realistically are expecting these guys to compete for bottom six jobs. And I know in the past, we've heard some with the Flyers say that, you know, Allison's not a guy that maybe we would want him to play on the fourth line. But like this year, is the fourth line really like a fourth line? Like, 
if if I'm like, let's say Lazinski and Allison make the team, which I think could easily easily happen, providing that they stay healthy because they're competing with guys like Brown and McEwen, right? Yeah. And and Brown and McEwen, are they everyday NHLers? If we're being honest, like I think those we have are no problem waving putting those guys through waivers. And they're kind of like, if you can, like they're like the prototypical, like perfect, like 13, 14th forwards, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Brown, good guy to come and play center. McEwen, you know, here and there, good locker room guy. We know that they love him in the locker room and all that. Good energy winger, banger. Energy winger. Like, but if Lazinski and Allison can make it and you have them on the fourth line with Nick Delorier, like, is, how much worse is that line than Kate's? frost and tippet like i would say that like depending on situations of the game maybe that line gets more minutes to play defensive zone because mm-hmm. we know that delorier is a is a responsible defensive player a good penalty kill guy like he's not just this this absolute like useless guy skating out there like he can give you solid responsible shifts and lazinski you could speak that more than me like i'm sure that he's a defensively responsible winger Allison, I think for the last like 18 months ago, he proved he's an everyday NHL or if he could just stay healthy. So like if you have like that as your fourth line and then Kate's Frost and Tippett, like you have two, like I would say three and a half, like one third line and like a three and a half line. So yeah, like that, I would agree. that bottom six, I think is something to be excited about because of how many, I guess, upside players you have skating there, save for Nick Deloria, which you kind of know which what he is. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like this goes to the next point I want to talk about is there's a lot of question marks there, though, right? There's yeah. as we go into this season, I got to update my list of question marks because I had all these question marks going into the offseason. Yeah, we were going to get answers to whether it was, you know, who's the next coach? Is that an indication of what direction they're going to go in free agency? Blah, blah, blah. We got a lot of those answers, but there's a f- couple of those answers we didn't get yet. Like, obviously, we didn't get an answer on Ryan Ellis. We don't no. know. You know, A, if he comes back and if he, when he does come back, if he's going to be able to answer the bell and be a regular with consistency. And we don't know what Couturier is going to be coming off the surgery. And to some extent, we don't know what Hayes is going to be, even though his last stint last year, he looked very good compared to what he looked like early in the season last year, which was a beer leaguer base, basically, he just couldn't move. Okay. Um, and then, you know, so we have that list of question marks, but going into the season, there's a whole nother host of question marks. And a lot of that is predicated on guys like Allison, guys like Lisinski, guys like Frost and Tippett, you know, guys like Konechny rebounding and JVR in his final year of his deal. And and then on the blue line, there's obvious, obvious question marks there. D'Angelo and Provorov, is there chemistry there? How does that work? Is the power play improved? You know, do they buy into the structure right away with Torts? Is it a tough, you know, path for them to get where he wants them to be? So I ask you this question with that huge preamble, what are the known commodities with this team? What are the things you feel sure about? Well, like I'm like, I think cart is a pretty good slam dunk to give you as assuming that it isn't a complete disaster in front of him. I think he's a slam dunk to give you above average goaltending, not elite, but I think above average goaltending, give you a chance to win every night. Nine, 10 save percentage ish. 910 save percentage. Yeah, I would yeah. say so, which is fine. I mean, that's what you need to win the NHL, right? Uh, if you could get that up to 915, then even better. But like anything over 910, I think is relatively solid. I think more or less your defense, maybe not the top pair because of how Provorov has done in recent years and D'Angelo, how's he going to stick? But like maybe that bottom four, like Sanheim, Ristolainen, I think they proved last year can be a solid second pair, more specifically Sanheim. 
Justin Braun, I think, as a number six. I think that's the way he's going to play this year with Cam York. I think that those four are going to pretty much give you what is expected. And then you have a few forwards in there, like a Scott Lawton. I think we know what to expect from Scott Lawton at this point, like a solid middle six guy, especially if he's on a wing. If you want to play him as a bottom six center, I think you know what to expect from him. And oddly enough, I think a guy like Nick Deloria, you know exactly what he's going to bring to the table. He's going to give yeah. you, you know, decent defensive minutes, help your PK, provide that, uh, that in- the intangibles that, you know, so many people look at as a buzzword and polarizing. But I mean, aside from that, you know, aside from Lawton, Delorier, a couple guys on defense and Carter Hart, there isn't a whole lot of solids. Or well, what you one didn't up. say is the second D pair with Ristolainen and in Sanheim. Now, Sanheim obviously going into the last year of his deal uh, to unrestricted free agency. We know that I've been told that Ristolainen extended at some point, did he? <laughs> we hear about that daily, but um, those two, I think, are a big, big element. And I think yeah. with relative certainty, you feel like those two are going to kind of give you some good, you know, second pairing minutes. And yeah. You know, Ristolainen, yeah, he's going to make mistakes. He's going to overplay situations, trying to be too physical and lose a guy as a result. And there's going to be pucks that end up in the back of their net because of mistakes from him. But is is that chemistry going to be there between him and Sanheim? And, it is, and is Sanheim going to still have that confidence and that kind of barometer in his brain to jump into the play and be part of the rush or lead the rush at times like he did last year? And not only you know, equal what he did last year, but take another step forward in a contract year. You know, players in this year where they're going to their first trip to UFA status, boy, that's like the ultimate motivator in sport. It's the cash that's at the end of the rainbow, pot of gold. And if he can take his game to the next level and that familiarity with with Ristolainen, uh, I would feel like I'd feel really good about my second pairing. Yeah, I feel I, I thought I said that, but if I didn't, I guess I made a mistake. But yeah, no, I'm, Maybe you did, I, I just missed it. I don't know. I think that's a <laughs> slam dunk. One of the, the biggest things that you can count on, which is why I think that. And look, there were other ways you could have done that. Like you said, you could have traded wrist line and then trade it and then sign him again in the summer. Right. Although they were probably frightened that he would have, you know, played his game, his value up in the playoffs. And then some probably would have given him, you know, five and a half, six million dollars. But I think the way that they looked at it was that that second pair was the farthest thing from all the other problems last year. And that you saw Sanheim finally get unlocked and reach what I think is probably close to his full potential. And you saw Rissalainen come in and then them internally feel that he he checked the box and played a role that they desperately needed. Now, again, I think that Rissalainen at times played over his head last year, which I mean, Ristolainen's the type of guy that you can't really feed him more than he's able to. And I think with Alice being out all last year, more times than not, he was playing the most out of any right side defenseman. Yep. Now this year, you know, D'Angelo theoretically is going to take a lot of those five on five minutes away from him. You have Justin Braun, who's probably going to be playing at a higher level because he's going to be playing, I would assume, at least five minutes less per game than he was last year on the top pair with Ivan Provorov. And if you have Ristolainen kind of checking in in between, let's say, like 16 and 18 minutes a night, I think that you're going to get good minutes out of the guy. And, you know, I was talking to Charlie O'Connor about it and that they actually feel that he tracks as a really good uh, uh, retrieval defenseman, Mm -hmm. defensive retrieval. So and I think that is where they're going with it this season in terms of their defense 
is that, you know, a lot of people have said like, oh, well, they're not like good in zone defensive players, but it kind of, it's a good segue into a question I got from a listener. Let me just pull up his name. I want to give him credit. Uh, Philly Lafleur, And he questioned is, is that um, can this team get on the right side of the possession and quality chances against per game, make life somewhat easier for Hart plus spending less time defending? Is this even possible? And I think that's the entire way they've pretty much built this defense. And I think you've brought that up specifically, Jay, is that they're, the way that they've structured this D is that it's entirely based on trying to defend less, which is kind of how they found success in 2019-20 under Vino. And if you look at all their defensemen, save for Justin Braun, all these guys can move the puck pretty well. And even a guy like Ristolainen, that maybe he doesn't get controlled exits well, he tracks well in getting the puck out of the defensive zone, and he tracks well retrieving dump-ins. And the entire way that him and Sanheim operated was that he would retrieve the puck, usually win a physical battle, and try and shovel it over to Sanheim to break it out. So for you, do you think that's possible, what the, the listener asked? Yeah, it's definitely possible, and you're right. It's something that we've heard them say. You know, Chuck said it, and I think Torts even brought it up, you know, in his, you know, initial availabilities, is that, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is shit today, but um, <laughs> that the first thing they need to do to shore up their defense is to defend less and be not in their D zone, be 200 feet away from their goal. So, you know, that's obvious when they go grab a guy like Tony D'Angelo who can lead a rush and make that first pass. Like that's the thing that Provost's not good at. Yeah. He's a good in zone defender when he's got a guy next to him that he has chemistry with. And I think we've seen that, but he's not a good guy at making that zone exit pass, whether it's a six or eight foot pass or a stretch pass into the neutral zone. D'Angelo skated out decently. Yeah. Provost can skate it out decently. Yeah. Um, D'Angelo is a guy that can make that pass and, and turn it around quickly. Again, but is he good on retrievals? Probably not. That's not his strong suit like it is Ristolainen. Then you look at that second pair, and you're right. You know, the retrieval guy is definitely Ristolainen. You'll look to see teams dump it in the opposite corner of Ristolainen a lot to, to avoid that and then get it to Sanheim, who has two. He's not a deaf passer, Sanheim, but he can also skate the puck out of the zone yeah. to exit the zone well. And then Cam York is a guy, obviously, that can make the pass. It's, he looks like he's so chill and just makes these great passes, you know, to space, hitting guys in stride, putting the puck where they can skate into it and play fast. So that, that's going to be a big part of it. Like, I think that's a huge element to their D zone is their ability to exit the D zone uh, effectively. And that will help them offensively because then you're going through the neutral zone with as a unit with speed. So often it looked like they were going to the neutral zone, like skating in, in mud, you know, yeah. no flow through the neutral zone leads to a turnover just inside the offensive zone. And you couple that now you didn't get the puck deep. The other team's going the other way. And then you have two thirds of the rink to go to be back on top of you. So that's a big element to me. And you look at, you know, that 1920 season amp, they gave up the least amount of shots in the league that year, really kept high danger chances out of the middle. You know, they gave up a lot from the outside when they did give up shots, but it wasn't obviously a high, high volume and volume doesn't matter. It's all about quality over quantity. But I went back and I looked at Torts teams from his Ranger stint, his Vancouver stint and his uh, stint in Columbus. And, you know, the amount of shots that they gave up per games 
in those stints. They gave up one year. His first year in New York, he gave up second most in the league at 33.5. But then they gave up the 16th, 10th, 6th, 10, 7. These are the lowest. Um, 17, 11, 7, 7. And his goals against average in, you know, the odd thing is in that year where they gave up the second most shots in the league, they had the sixth best goals against average. That's Lundqvist. Um, the goals against average, sixth best in the league, 10th, 5th, 3rd, 4th, 14th, 29th is first year in Columbus with Bob and Corpusalo. And then, and actually that year, he gave up only 28.4 shots. And then uh, <laughs> second, 10th, 11th, and 3rd. Now you go, well, he had great goalies in all those years. He had Bobrovsky in Columbus. He had Luongo the one year in Vancouver. And obviously he had Lundqvist in uh, New York. But also the system was what led them to their numbers for Bob to be great. Like we saw when Bob first went to Florida, the lack of structure hurt him and he yeah. wasn't sharp. He didn't look good, you know? So, I mean, same thing with Luongo when he went to Florida. Yeah. Well, like Florida is just like, even now, like you see how that defense is built and like, I don't know, like on a side note, do you think Florida's better this year? Like I love Matthew Kachuk, but do you think they're a better team this no, year? I think they gave up more than they got because they got a winger but they gave up a center and a top four D-man. Yeah. Yeah. So Weger. Weger's brilliant, brilliant defenseman. But like, I think Calgary's better, oddly enough, even I, though that line with Lindholm, Gaudreau, and Kachuk was insane. All three players over 100 points, and they were five on five monsters. I think overall that team's better and, and better built now for playoff success than, than it was with Gaudreau and Kachuk. When, when I look at Calgary now, like I'm considering them as a cup favorite going into look this Look at them season. up the middle. That's like, the thing. Uberdo, that... Lindholm, and Kadri. Oh. Yeah. And you look at that defense, and they are arguably the deepest defense in the entire NHL, and they don't have a single guy making over $5 million. And they got a coach that's going to just play yeah. into that perfectly. And it's going to depend on how some of their in-house guys develop. Like Manjapani, I think, is going to get a big opportunity here to like fill in for a guy like Matthew Kachuk. Dylan Dubé, how is he going to do a full season of Tyler Toffoli? Like, they have a few guys that I think are going to have to step up and make up for some of the, the lost offense with Goudreau and Kachuk leaving. But at the same time, you have Huberdeau coming in. You have Kadri coming in. Now you're pushing Michael Backlund, presumably down to the third line. Like, that's a hell of a team they got there. One of the best goalies in the NHL. Like, I really like Jacob Markstrom. Kind of yeah, was a bit too. underwhelming in the playoffs, but I'm mm-hmm. going to... That's a team there that, like you said, a good defensive structured coach and, you know, now kind of transitioning to the Torts and the Flyers. Like, I, it's going to be a bit of a, a bit of an adventure because, like, I wonder... Like, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about Morgan Frost, but, like, you spoke to him. Uh, but, like, do you think that he's going to have trouble with Torts, or do you think Mike Yoke finally got through to him last year? I think the the, interme- the intermediary position of being with Yo, and Yo was uncompromising with him. We remember, like, a lot of people were critical of Yo yep. for, you know, trying to make him play the right way in the D zone and the neutral zone. And eventually he started doing it. You saw his confidence in the neutral zone, too. He was attacking plays in the neutral zone. I asked him about that when I talked to him on Flyers Daily a little while back when he signed his contract. And he said, that's just confidence in knowing I'm in the right position and I'm in the right, you know, with our with our system and our structure that I can do that. I can, you know, go at a guy in the neutral zone because I'm in the right spot to attack and cause a turnover. 
and my other guys are in the right spots that if it doesn't fully work out, there's also protection there. There's guys on the right side of the puck. So I think that that's good that, you know, I think Yo all said and done will get no credit for any of his development, but if he does develop, should get some credit. I think that Mike Yo, like I was never a huge fan of Mike Yo as a head coach, just based on his track record with the Wild and St. Louis. I always thought he was very good as an assistant. You know, he won a cup with Pittsburgh, had a good run with uh, the Blues. While I think he was the assistant coach under Ken Hitchcock, if I'm not mistaken, he was actually uh, an an interim head coach, not an interim head coach, but a associate head coach. Associate, because yeah. they knew it was Hitch's last year. Isn't that what they gave the title for Brunette in uh, New Jersey to associate coach? Yeah, not... to Lindy Ruff. Yeah, yeah, Which like kind of like to take over when they fire Lindy. No, like the heir apparent, let's say. Yeah, but I, I was just never a fan of Mike Yo as an assistant. Very, almost very much like John Stevens. Like I thought they kind of had similar track records, similar personalities, mm-hmm. that type of thing. And someone within the Flyers said, like, yeah, that that's a very good comparison. Uh, Stevens to Mike Yo because even John personality wise very different but in you know their belief system I think is very similar and the role of assistant versus head I think is dead on yeah and and you look at John Stevens even since he left the Flyers like he always finds a role as an assistant coach he won two Stanley Cups with the Los Angeles Kings has a cup of coffee as the head coach gets fired and then he spent a few years in Dallas I think he went to was it Vegas he went to now? Uh, he just got hired somewhere else. I, I think it was Vegas. I'm not sure, though. But he spent the last few years in Dallas under Rick Bonus. But obviously, they made a big change to their coaching staff. So, I mean, you look at what Mike Yo did, and obviously an uphill battle. He never had a healthy roster. He had a worse win percentage than AV did, but that was also not fair. It wasn't apples to apples, as you know he was dealing with a non-healthy roster the entire year. But I remember like all the young players were pretty much excelling under Mike Yo, except for Morgan Frost. And he took, like you said, a lot of criticism there. But I remember saying the whole year is that like Mike Yo was probably telling Morgan Frost, like, look, we don't need another middle of the road, middle six center and that or middle six winger rather, because that's what the Flyers have like in abundance. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that when he, Frost would come up under AV, he played out of the gate better because what would AV do with Morgan Frost? He would stick him on the left wing with Giroux and Atkinson and say, just play all offense. And he was usually able to create stuff down low and was a passable winger when he was playing left wing in that role, but they don't need another winger. They need a center in the immediate future. And you saw that Morgan Frost, by the time the trade deadline came around all of a sudden, after he went back and forth from Lehigh and all that, it started clicking for him. Maybe yeah. the raw offense didn't come in as much as you wanted originally, but I mean, he was playing well with Tippett. His underlying numbers were very good. You could trust him at all areas of the ice. And I think that's important because obviously we're a ways away now, but I think that what the Flyers have done in terms of drafting Brent Flair specifically is that slowly, slowly now you're starting to see a couple of guys in their pipeline that could maybe push Frost in over the next 12 to 18 months. Like yeah. we talked about Lazinski. Could he be a guy that could push Frost for top nine minutes as a centerman? I, you know, Elliot Denway, I was told that he prefers playing center at this juncture. Is Denway. Wants, wants to play center. 
you know, Cutter Gauthier. Like the, those are three guys that maybe within the next 12 to 18 months are going to be pushing Morgan Frost. And it seems like since Frost got drafted, he's just had an endless leash because the Flyers have been so bad at the center ice position since 2017. And he was, hurt you know, you, so much too. That's the other thing. Yeah. He's, and, you know, you had so many guys that like, fell flat on their face in development and were just, they ne they never turned out to be anything. Like Misha Vorobiev, German Rubsov, Nolan yeah. Patrick, Connor Bonneman, like all these guys who were theoretically supposed to be competing with Morgan Frost aren't here anymore. And even outside of the, outside of the Flyers, none of them are even doing anything. Like German Rubsov just went back to Russia. Yeah. I don't know if Connor Bonneman got re-upped by the Florida Panthers. Did not. Yeah, did not. Nolan Patrick may never play again. Misha Barovia off in Russia. Like, these are guys that just did not pan out. Like, Ron Hextall picks that just didn't pan out. All of his centermen didn't pan out, except yeah. for Morgan Frost. And now Morgan Frost, I think that Mike Yoda did a great job. He is an everyday NHLer. But for the first time in a long time, it seems that maybe the road isn't as infinite as we once thought. Yeah, and you need to be good up the middle. Like, that... Yeah is a huge, huge element for this Non-negotiable. Yeah, it's, you got to be. It, it's why Gaudreau didn't make sense for this team. Um, yeah, John Stevens is on Bruce Cassidy's staff now in okay. uh, Vegas. So, um, you know, spent the last couple of years in Dallas, and um, we'll see how that plays out for him there in uh, a pretty intriguing team in Las Vegas with without Robin Lehner. <laughs> they now go into the season with a huge question mark in that. No yeah. flurry, no Lehner. That didn't play out well for them. Which Aiden speaking, Hill, baby. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Vegas, let's look at the you know, the point totals for this season. They're out in the Bet Parks app. Vegas has put out their point totals. So let's look at the teams in the division. We'll go in alphabetical order. All right. And we'll we'll make a prediction on if they will go over or under the point total for the 22-23 season. And we start in Carolina with the Carolina Hurricanes. Of course, they got Brent Burns, no Tony D'Angelo. Uh, they made some pretty significant moves. They lost uh, – uh, wait, who's the center that they lost? Why can't I think of his name? Trocek. Oh, yeah, Vincent Trocek. Um, they're a team in transition. They, they were great in goal last year. It wasn't available in the playoffs, obviously, with Freddie Anderson. Uh, but their win total, over-under point total, rather, is 103 and a half. And they finished last year with 116. Hmm. They over the one hundred three and a half, or are they under the one hundred three and a half? I'm surprised the number is that low based on what they were last season. Yeah, um, I might go a bit off the board here, but I'm actually going to go under slightly, wow. slightly under because I'm just I'm curious how that offense do, do does rather do does, but um, not not like egregiously under, but I think that maybe they'll come in at one hundred one, one hundred two in that range. Mm -hmm. Just because I'm, you're going to ask a lot from just Barry Kokaniemi to fill in for Vincent Trocek. And to be fair, they have a good backup plan with Paul Stashney, a very shrewd signing. I like that move. Me too. You're going, you're bringing in Brent Burns here to plug in in the Tony D'Angelo hole, which I mean, I love Brent Burns. I think he has a lot to give still, especially on the offensive side of the puck. I think him and Jacob Slavin are going to be a very good defensive pair because Slavin is just a brilliant all around defenseman. But I'm wondering, like, is Burns going to be able to provide the same dynamic type of offense as Tony D'Angelo because he is, what, 10 years older? The goaltending is a bit 
murky for me. You know, Anderson had trouble staying healthy. Even Auntie Ranta wasn't, you know, always healthy. You bring in Max Pacioray, but he's hurt right away. Um, so, I mean, I think that they're going to be just slightly under because I also think you're going to have another team in the Metro take a massive step forward. Yeah. You know, since the 2014-15 season, that is – let me give you how many games that is. Um, 14-15 through last year, that is a total of seven or 630 games. Brent Burns has played 618 of them. He only missed Durable. 12 games. He's play, he played 82 in 14-15. He played 82 the next year, the next year, the next year, the next year. Then he played 70 in the 1920 season. Actually, he didn't miss 12. He hasn't missed a game since 2013, 14, because they only played 70 games in 1920. Sorry. He played all 56 the year after in a shortened season. He played all 82 last year. That's amazing. He's a monster. He's played every game since 14, 15. And he's an 03 draft guy. He's taken 20th overall. He's been durable as hell. And I like Brent Burns. I I I like that move. It's just, I'm not sure if, I I don't know when the cliff is going to hit. But when yeah. he's going to hit that cliff, but I mean, like I said, we're waiting slightly for on a couple under. of those O three guys, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're waiting for it on Pavelski and yeah. other guys in that O three draft. Pavelski's taken in the seventh round, by the way. <laughs> um, let's go to the next team, Columbus Blue Jackets. Last year, they finished with eighty one points out of the playoffs. Seventy nine and a half is the over under. It's actually less than their, their total from last year. Over or under? By the way, I'm taking Carolina over the one o three and a half. Um, but Columbus, 79 and a half. Obviously, the big acquisition there is Johnny Gaudreau. A player goes to Columbus, chooses Columbus. Him, Patrick Laine, got some high-end talent on the wing. What say you regarding the Columbus Blue Jackets at 79 and a half? For me, this is an easy over. I mean, I think that you add in a guy like Johnny Gaudreau, you obviously have to assume that's going to positively impact a guy like Patrick Laine. It allows you to push maybe an aging Jake Voracek down to the second line. You Maybe he could score more than four goals or whatever it was last year. I think you're going to see a big step forward from, let's say, their defensive group. They have that young guy that they acquired, Bockfist, I think his name was, in the Seth Jones yeah. trade. Mm-hmm. Bockfist. Uh, who's that young centerman? Cole Sillinger, I yep. think. So, like, I, I look, I don't think this is a playoff team. But, I mean, I think that they could easily get another, you know, three, four wins out of there and maybe get close to the 90-point mark. So, for me, this is an easy over for Columbus. Yeah, I, I think it's slightly over. I think they're around an 82-point season. Yeah, 500 team. At, yeah, I'm not quite at 90, but I think there are a slight overplay here, although I don't feel tremendously confident in it. Um, the New Jersey Devils are the next team. They finished last year two points ahead of the Flyers. Their win total or their point total this year, according to the Bet Parks app, 88 and a half for the New Jersey Devils. Jack Hughes, another year older. Obviously, Dougie Hamilton there, Nico Heischer. They've got some some decent pieces. They had some guys they lost though this offseason, too. Uh, so what do you think about the New Jersey Devils? And a coach that I think is immediately on the hot seat a little bit is Lindy Roth. But like you said, Andrew Burnett is sitting there lying in wait. Look, they, they made some good additions. They bring in John Marino. They bring in Andre Palat. Like, you would assume uh, Tomas Tatar as well, except, no, he signed last season, I believe, last summer. But, I mean, you're, you're going to look for, like, some young guys like Dawson Mercer to take that next step. Obviously, they're two big boys in Hughes and Heeshear. Uh, I like some of their players. Their goaltending scares the hell out of me. 
Like, yeah. I don't know if Vitek Vanacek is the answer. It feels like Mackenzie Blackwood goes from hot to cold almost on a daily basis. Jonathan Bernier, I assume, is, I guess, out long-term if they made that investment in Vitek Vanacek. Yeah. But for New Jersey, I mean, I, I'm going to say under a bit here just because they're kind of been the team that it seems like four years now, everyone is so, like, hot and you know what about them and they always just fall flat so until i see it i'm gonna kind of be a bit more pessimistic not egregiously but i think they'll be more in the columbus range of maybe 80 to 85 points um yeah i think they may even be below that i i'm just not i'm not buying the goaltending like vanacek was decent in washington with lavi i i just i just don't buy it here with, yeah. with the new jersey devils just yet i think they have some good young pieces but they show no signs of learning how to take a step. Yeah. I mean, they finished two. Think about how miserable that flyer season was last year. They finished two points ahead of them. That's it. Two. <laughs> I mean, that's not good. Um, and they have the talent. Season, yeah, they do. But they just can't seem to get it together. And look, no goaltending will undo talent all the time. Um, yeah. The New York Islanders are the next team. They finished last year at a miserable start to the season. They finished last year, though, with 84 points. Of course, they went to two conference finals the two years prior in the unique circumstances. But this year, the Islanders, I mean, Vegas is looking at them and Bet Bars look at them as a playoff team because they're at 94 and a half. Now, that wouldn't have made the playoffs last year. It might this year. It took 100 points to get in last year in the East. But 94 and a half for the New York Islanders. And, you know, they were in on Kadri. They couldn't make the room, couldn't get the deal done. And, you know, they're kind of an old and lumbering team. Uh, on the island and I don't know that you know they got some good pieces on the blue line and you know but I, I don't know that this is a team that rebounds I think their window was very briefly opened but I don't know that it is going to remain open it's tough right because I really like their goaltending I think Sorokin is you know bordering on elite and I don't think he's quite there yet but I love him as a goaltender I love their defense obviously a lot is dependent on if Pelic and Pola can stay healthy arguably the best defense pair in the NHL. You bring in Romanov from the Canadians. Noah Dobson is going to look to take that next step, able to push Mayfield down to the third pair. But that offensive group, you know, you save for Matthew Barzal and maybe a young guy like Oliver Wallstrom. Like, there's a lot to be desired there. A very aging group. I feel like their average age is almost 30 up front, if not a bit older. Uh, 94 and a half points. I mean... I feel like that's more or less fair, but I'm going to go under here. I think that that offense is going to drop really fast. And, you know, this is a league now where offense dominates. And I just, I don't think they have enough offense up front. So I'm going to go under. Yeah, I'm going to go under there too. And and I, and like you, I love Sorokin. I do. I think Big he, time. Yeah, I mean, him and, you know, that Russian invasion with Sorokin and obviously Shesterkin. And then you look at a guy, I mean, to a lesser extent, not even with Washington anymore. Um, you know, I, I look at them and I just go, I, I don't see it. I just don't see it with that team. Um, when you look at the average age uh, at the end of last year, um, the New York Islanders average age was 30 on the nose, 30.0. And where does that rank in the NHL? They are the highest average age in the league by over a full year. The second highest age was the Dallas Stars at 28.69. So, 
yeah, I'm with you on that. I think their window's closing, so I'm going to take the under on the 94.5 on the Bet Parks app. Let's go to New York, uh, to the city this time. Get off the island, and let's go to the uh, uh, right downtown and check in on the New York Rangers. Had 110 points last year. You know, they went to a conference final behind that great goaltending of Shesterkin. Great year from Kreider and so many of those offensive stars. Year two uh, for Gerard Gallant, and we know that a lot of times Gallant is the first year is the best year. Uh, but this year, their number is below 100 at 99 and a half points. So you're going over or under on the rags. Easy over. And I think this is why I was a bit lower on the Hurricanes, because I think this is the team that's probably going to finish first in the division this year. I mean, they add Vincent Trocek, which directly defects from the Hurricanes over to the Rangers. You have some guys who, I mean, you're still waiting for some young guys like Kako and Lafreniere to take that big next step. But you also have some other guys like Brennan Uthman who could come in and make an impact. Uh, Vitelli Kravtsov, depending on if he comes over back from Russia. Um, but I, I really like this team. I think Trocek gives them a, bol- a boost down the middle. Obviously, they move on from Ryan Strom, but I think probably Trocek gives them a bit more of a kick down the middle. Then you're going to get like a healthy Samuel Blay this year. So, uh, yeah, this is an easy over for me, and I think this is a team that's probably going to finish first in the Metro. Yeah, I look at Lafreniere, and I look at him, and I go, he, he took steps in the playoffs. I think I thought he really took some steps. Now, Kako was obviously in that last game was scratched, right? Um, and, and there was a lot of criticism lobbed about that and no Strom. But you do have Lafreniere who had a 31-point season last year. I could see him in that 55 range this year taking another big step. I mean, he's a high-end talent, right? So I, I think this is a stone over as well. I think they're a good team, but they're going to have to be a little better defensively because you can't keep relying on, like the first two-thirds of last year, Ant, they relied on Shesterkin to bail them out. And he did. But can you live that way long-term is the question, you know? I yeah. don't know that that's the... But as far as 99 and a half goes, I'm taking them over. I think that they win the division. Yeah. Easy. So, um, well, we're going in alphabetical order, but we're going to do the fires last, so we'll skip them. We'll go to Pittsburgh. Let's go across the state. I'm stunned to see this number. Finished 103 last year. Finished in third in the Metropolitan Division. This year, Vegas has their over-under. Maybe they're inflating this bit on the Bet Parks app to 101 and a half for the Pittsburgh Penguins. You buying in on this number? If I'm buying on this number, I'm buying the under. But I've been buying the under on the Penguins for years, and I haven't hit shit yet. <laughs> well, look, I think they're still a playoff team. Uh, obviously, they bring back the core here. Cross, well, Crosby's already locked up, but guys like Malkin and Latang stick around. They re-up Jeff Carter, bring back Danton Heinen, bring back um, uh, Ricard Raquel, trade for Jeff Petrie. Um, look, I'm going under. Uh, I think that this is a team that probably finishes third in the division, much like they did last year. But I mean, I think it is a bit high. I just I don't think you're going to need 100 points to make the playoffs like you did last year. Like last year was kind of an anomaly where I think that you'll probably be able to like get into the playoffs in like the 93, 94 point range again. That's more traditional number. Yeah. Well, the the year the Flyers went to the cup final, they got in with 88. Just to say, like, it's crazy. But, yeah, I think the the low to mid-90s is going to get you in. And I think that Penguins are going to probably get, like, 95, 96, finishing third in that division. So, yeah, I'm going to take the the under here. Yeah, I'm slamming the under on this one as well. I agree. Um, Opened up at 98.5 last season. They went to 103. This year they're at 101.5. We'll both take the under. 
Let's go to uh, DC and check in on Lavi and the Caps. They had 100 points last year. Uh, they opened last year at 95 and a half. They finished with 100. And at points last year, they looked really, really good. But at other points, they didn't look so good. Although Ovi continues to do it. This year, they come in at a pretty low number, 93 and a half for the Caps. You got the Caps on the over or the under here. They finished last year fourth in the division. I'm I'm going to take this is tough. I'm going to take the under. I'm I'm not sure how this this group is going to age. Like who knows what the future holds for Nick Backstrom. Yeah. Lars Eller is a year older. Oshie. Anthony Manta is coming back from injury. TJ Oshie is 35 years old. Like I'm still think that Kuznetsov and Ovechkin will do what they do always. But I mean, you even look at that defense, you know, John Carlson, Orlov, like now they're creeping into their early 30s. Nick Jensen, Van Reems, like same age. Like they only have one defenseman under 30 years old. And that's fair of very And I just I don't know, like obviously Kemper is going to give them some better goaltending. I think that they did a good job there. Going with Charlie Lindgren as their backup, who's been typically a career tweener. So I do like their better goaltending, but I think they're aging. And to be honest here, I'm not, I don't think they're a slam dunk to make the playoffs. I don't either. I, I just like they're with Pittsburgh in that same kind of boat for me where I'm like, you know, it's got to fall off eventually, but when does it happen? And Look, I agree with you. I think that because Netsoff and Ovechkin are going to eat, they're going to drive all their offense, and Carlson will still be good on that blue line. But you got a lot of guys over 30, the fifth oldest roster in the NHL. By the way, the Penguins are the third oldest. And I look at that and I go, eventually the credit card bill's got to come due and there's got to be a drop off. And if things aren't going great, I think that's when Lavi can kind of lose the room a little bit. And that's a very veteran room with a lot of guys north of 30. So I'll take the under there as well at 93 and a half. I think they're going to finish about 88 and out of the playoffs. Yeah, so. yeah me too. All right, last team is the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, last year, they opened at 94 and a half. They were a little under, 61 <laughs> points. Just by a this, wee bit. Yeah, and this year, they open up at 78 and a half. So just slightly under hockey 500, 78 and a half for the Flyers. We know about the additions of the the new coaching staff towards Bradshaw, Rocky Thompson. We know about some of the, um, well, the lack of moves uh, to the roster over the summer, whether you look at, you know, they didn't get Goudreau, they didn't bring in Nick Delarier, they, uh, you know, you're hoping for guys to come back healthy. You bring in Tony D'Angelo. Is the power play going to be better? Are they going to be better five on five? Are they going to defend less? Blah, blah, blah. So when you look at that 78 and a half number, are you going over or under for the Flyers? Well, last week I said I expect them to be hovering around hockey 500, so I guess I'll go over, not egregiously. I think that's a very fair over-under for them. I mean, it could probably, like, I think everyone is kind of, like, penciling them in somewhere in that 70 to 80-point range. Um, I think that it'll be... I've got them in that 50 to 60-point range. I'm sure Dan uh, on Brotherly Pod's got him around 50 points this year, right? Uh, we haven't talked about it, but I mean, I think he is more in like the better than last season type of range. So, I mean, I'm going to say the, the hockey 500 low 80. So over not egregiously. I think this is a very fair over and under, but, uh, I think that the Metro division, like aside from the hurricanes and the Rangers and maybe the penguins, I think there's going to be a lot of parody in that Metro division. 
So I think there's going to be a why it's not going to take a hundred points to win either. There exactly. wasn't parity last year. It's the exactly. haves versus the have nots last year. Yeah. So. And it was split by like early February, late January. It was already set in stone. And I the think top that, eight teams in the conference, right? Yeah. And, and I think that for the first time in a while, you're going to see probably five teams make it out of the Atlantic division. So you're probably mm-hmm. going to see Toronto, Tampa Bay, Florida, although I don't think Florida is going to be as dominant, but a playoff team. And then probably Boston, Ottawa are going to give hell of runs for money. Like, I mean, I know Ottawa, there's, they have a lot to prove and all that. And, you know, maybe they're just the sexy pick going on because of the additions they made. But like, if you're comparing Ottawa against Washington and New York and Columbus, like, who are you picking? Yeah. Well, Boston is 95 and a half, but obviously they're dealing with some attrition right out of the gate. Yeah. With some huge injuries. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is Ottawa a team that can push? I mean, Ottawa is at 86 and a half going in. I mean, they made some pretty significant additions. I think they have a good coach in DJ Smith. They have some good young talent. But are they a team that can push? That's the question. As far as the teams that are below the Flyers in the over-under for going into the season, the only teams that have a lower total are Buffalo at 77 and a half. San Jose at 77 and a half, Montreal at 70 and a half, Arizona at 67 and a half, along with the Chicago Blackhawks, who are also at 67 and a half. So Vegas has them as that fifth ranked uh, worst team in the NHL. So, and, and the Flyers, actually, when you look at average age of the roster right now, they are the uh, 12th youngest team in the league at 27.07 years of age. So there you go. With a lot of unpredictability to come with it, right? Yep. And, uh, no like you said, open the show. Like, there's a lot of unknowns with this roster. There's yes, like, is. and that it could swing either way. Like, maybe Frost and Tippett face plant, and they're struggling to put together a half decent third line to start the whole year or to throughout the whole year. We don't know. Yeah, you have no no idea. All I know is when I look at that schedule, I go, man, NHL's a tough freaking league, man. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine playing out in like Winnipeg, like how tough that schedule would be. Just brutal. All those division games. Um, Awesome stuff, Ant. Read stuff and stuff at uh, thefourthgrade.com. The handle is at ademarco25. You got it. Oh, I fucking nailed it finally. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, brother. We'll talk next week. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. There he is. Anthony DeMarco from thefourthperiod.com. Great stuff as always. Well, there was a lot to chew on this notion that there's nothing to talk about when it comes to the flyers in the NHL. I think that's bullshit. We just proved it. We just talked for over an hour and I had other notes here that I wanted to get to, but we'll get to them in a subsequent episode. Uh, but you need to uh, grab the bet parks app for all those over unders on the NHL points totals for the 22, 23 season. They're all right there for you. Check it out along with all the great uh, football action, college and pro, which is kicking off all the baseball action, all the tennis, Serena, all the, F1 or golf action, you can get your wagers in on all of it. It's the greatest mobile casino and sports book you're going to find. Easy to use, easy to navigate, player performances, same game parlays, live in-game betting, you name it. It's all there on the Bet Parks app. So download it today. It's easy to sign up, and new and existing users are going to get a free, risk-free bet up to $750 for using the promo code JASON750. JASON750, that'll get you a risk-free bet up to $750. Terms and conditions do apply, so check it out. Download the Bet Parks app. You're going to be glad you did. 
And you do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this one. Uh, episode 62 of Bet Park Presents Stick to Hockey Live. We're back next week, and we're going to be ramping up our coverage. Uh, we'll announce the, the new schedule coming up very shortly and uh, some new details to the show. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a five-star ring and review, and we'll talk to you next time on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great first weekend of September, everybody. Yeah.